Greetings, Troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Coleman, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original Troubled Man for Troubled Times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, what's going on with you, man? It's great to be here. Not too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great to be here in my bedroom, Mm -hmm. um, you know, on a Thursday night, um, just checking out the weather. Yeah, yeah, how's it looking? Yeah, it looks fine to me. I don't like weather, though. I never have. Well, it's yeah. always got to be some kind of weather, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I like the weather indoors. Indoor weather. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what's happening, man? It's been another week of uh, phase one here in New Orleans. Right. Uh, and it's been, um, uh, so there's been some murders, a lot of crime. There has been a, a lot of crime. I, I yeah. guess you know, all that pent up people been in their houses, you know, it's, uh, well, got it's, it's all the, to settle. I don't know. But people are going out. So now the criminals can rob them and, okay. and make the crimes. Cause we talked about this a couple of months ago when this all shutdown happened is like, what, what, what are the junkies going to do? What are the, uh, you know, there's no one in the quarter. How are they going to get their money? How are they going to rob and steal? The panhandlers, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How are they going to do don't have any, uh, any targets. So phase one now, I think uh, they have some targets now. Okay. You know, they have some targets. And, uh, you know, so the city, just like a lot of places around the country and the world, are trying to get back to some kind of normal. And, and now the top stories aren't necessarily all COVID-19. You know, I, I saw that um, that the, the Superdome will no longer be called the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Okay. You know, they lost. The Mercedes-Benz says, ah, we don't want to pay you anymore. Find, yeah. another, find another sponsor. They're moving on. Yeah, they're moving on. I mean, they're already sponsoring the Atlanta Falcon uh, Stadium. Okay. So now the thing is, is like who, uh, what sponsor is going to want, want to put their name on the Superdome and and the Superdome, uh, who are they going to accept as a sponsor? And the mm. first business, I don't know if you heard about this, the first business was a porn website called Strip Chat. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I did not hear about that, they but are, I'm, they I'm are, intrigued. They, they were willing to pay $10 million to have their name on the Superdome. Okay. And uh, there was no response from the, from the powers that be, you know, the saints. The Saints actually said, uh, you know, they said, I don't think so, that kind of thing. But, really? It's, uh, it's too sordid for them? I guess. The well, but the Strip Chat website, a CEO said, you know, you know, New Orleans is the party capital, Bourbon Street, the strippers and all that. You know, it seems perfect. Right. It seems perfect for us to have our name there. And we're willing to give you $10 million to put our name on the Superdome. And uh, there was really been no response, but I think it would be great. I think sure. it would be fabulous. Well, you know, but, one thing that that uh, that Strip Chat has in its favor, uh, you know, over uh, Mercedes Benz, Strip Chat, oddly, unlike Mercedes Benz, not involved in the Holocaust. So, <laughs> well, you know, that's well, that's, yeah, that's a good point. But I don't think too many people down here even realize that, Renee. <laughs> right, but you get my point. I mean, you yeah. know, if we're gonna if we're gonna you know start keeping keeping score, you know? right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I thought. You know, with all the uh, controversy mm-hmm. surrounding uh, the the naming of it and stuff like that, uh, they they put out there what what other sponsors do you think could maybe uh, put their name up there and 
even though they're bankrupt, I thought the New Orleans Archdiocese Superdome would have, okay. been a good, would have been a good name. Well, they're already intimately involved. Uh, well, that's it. Yeah, with, because, with, with Saints organization, yes. Uh, right. Uh, covering up molestations. And, yes, uh, yes. They're, they're, the Saints were lending their, their PR expertise to the archdiocese in, in, uh, in damage control and trying to handle the... the from uh, orders of the owner, Gail Benson. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and, so. and, and, and they were suing, uh, one of the news organizations was suing uh, to, to get those emails between the archdiocese and the Saints organization um, revealed, right. you know, and, and the, of course, both the archdiocese and the Saints were trying to not get those revealed, trying to get those uh, squashed. And, it, and it's all in court right now. Right. But I also thought this would have been a perfect name right after Katrina. Uh, for the Superdome, it would be uh, where people go to die. Superdome. Okay, that would, well, <laughs> that would have been the perfect name for that. Yeah, not it's not really catchy, doesn't? Uh, but uh, but I get your point. Yeah. Um, so that's been going on here in the city. Uh, of course, the Hard Rock Hotel. Uh, they're slowly uh, destroying the buildings around it, but not right. the building itself. Right, right. You know, so yeah, they, they, they had some more destruction to do to to get ready to dismantle this uh monstro the the disaster that, that's been sitting there for six or eight months now. Right, yeah. So um so you know basically, you know, I'm still doing my job. Uh the city is slowly reopening. I'm actually thinking of uh, uh going out to a restaurant for my wife's birthday. Oh, really? Uh, this uh, next week because, um, you know, there some restaurants are open and one of her favorite restaurants is open. And uh, I'm, I do some little research, you know, uh, there's going to be uh, social distancing at the tables and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And people are going to be wearing masks. I, I just don't know how we're going to eat through a mask. But uh, uh, Well, I, I, was, I was wondering that myself. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out, you know. Uh, well, I saw one of the, the locals uh, de was developing a mask that had a hole for a straw so you could drink a drink through it. Right, yeah, well, that, that, uh, that, that's, that's a good idea. But you're not yeah. going to be able to do that. It's not going to have a, a fork hole or something no. that would kind of defeat the purpose, right? Right, I think you just have to eat under your mask or just take it off and, you know, gamble. You know, right, right. Now but, I wonder. With the, go ahead. You go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say with the the mask with the uh, with the straw hole. I guess you could still like smoke smoke crack through that straw hole, right? If that's where you want to go, sure. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just thinking. <laughs> trying to you know think you know how can people get back to their normal habits and uh, you know still is that practice? one of your normal habits, Renee? Well, not mine, but some people certainly. You know, it was very popular for a while, from what I hear. You know. Yeah, you don't hear much about crack anymore, do you? You don't. You don't, man. It's. Uh, I don't know. It's. Uh, it's uh, these things come in cycles, though. It seems like, don't they? So speaking of cracks mm -hmm. and crack, um, you know, everyone's been quarantined and all that, and uh, I, I notice on the social media a lot. Um, especially on the Facebook with on my wife's homepage, people are, I guess are so bored that they're uh, putting things out there. Name like the top 10 movies that influence your life and stuff mm -hmm, like that. Right. Have you seen this kind of stuff? Yes, I have. I have. I find it kind of, uh, kind of intrusive. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a burden when somebody curses you with that, but, but go well, on. It's all, it's almost like the pyramid scheme, you know, right. You start the pyramid, you got to keep going with it, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And if you stop it, then you're hexed, you know, you're, you're doomed, whatever, that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, have 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 people sent those requests to you? Um, some and mostly to my wife's page, and I've noticed you know a lot of her family and friends are are partaking in it because I guess they're bored out of their minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, there's like top ten films, so you have to post one every day, right? You know, and then there's you know top ten uh, albums, you know, that influence your life. And, mm-hmm. You have to do it 10 days in a row. And I saw my brother in New York was doing like top 10 uh, uh, moments that uh, uh, with his wife that changed his life and stuff like that. So oh, it could geez. get kind of it could get kind of corny and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, real fast, you know, feels like a real burden. You know, then you're waiting for people to judge you on the uh, on, you know, how the quality of your submissions and. Uh, right. It, it does. So I put out. I put out I, as a joke, of course, because I'm, I'm I'm a jokester. I I posted uh, I put out there name uh, the top ten porno films that influenced your life. Okay, you know, and um, on day one I put um, uh, analyze this. Okay, <laughs> analyze this. Uh huh. And then I got down to uh, the fast and the fisted. Okay, <laughs> classic. A modern classic. And then I went back real old school on, on, mm-hmm. on the third day. I put New Wave Hookers, which is a Oh, yeah, podcast. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a friend who, or, or yeah. you know, we, we, we have the Troubleman Podcast has a connection to New Wave Hookers. There. Right. And um, after that third day, I just quit. I, I, yeah. Know, I, <laughs> I quit. I could have just posted home movies, that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, so... It is what it is, you know, what's going on in the world today. And uh, so what's been going on with you? Are you uh, getting stuff done musically? Yeah, Are you yeah, doing anything yeah. work-wise? Um, uh, you know, d- musically, uh, well, you know, we, we d- haven't done any playing this week. You know, we, we, we did do a, an Iguanas live stream last week, and, and uh, we, we chose as the circle, uh, chose as our, our uh, group to feature our the circle bar because the circle bar like many live music venues is closed now by order of the government. So, you know, the circle bar has, has been touch and go for many years, you know, it's operating on a shoestring. So, uh, you know, the, the great Will Smith, the, uh, artist over artist in residence over there has created a t-shirt to, uh, to support the, the, the circle bar. So, the iguanas live stream was dedicated to the circle bar and we were promoting that that t-shirt and and uh you know some of the money we 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 raised we passed on to the circle bar and hopefully we can keep that great institution going uh you know it's i wasn't uh, too impressed with that t-shirt i saw that t-shirt i thought it could have been a little more colorful or lively it just seemed kind of simple but yeah yeah, it's you know it's it's tough to whether you decide to go with like something very symbolic and and basic, you know, logo type image for a T-shirt, or if you get more involved, you know, it's but uh, an important part is the circle bar, and and you know, hopefully the circle bar can can make it through this, and uh, so so you know that that was the last time I played, um, you know, uh, I've been doing a lot of work you in my yard. There? Uh, no, no, no. Played, played, uh, played at a at, at our uh, iguanas headquarters out by the lake in, in the uh, in the the outdoor venue we have. Um, but I've uh, been doing a lot of work in my yard. Actually, had a had a mishap the other day. Had a, a drill sitting on the top of a of a ladder and had finished this work a few minutes earlier. 
and then went to move the ladder and that drill fell off the top of the ladder and landed straight on the top of my head. <laughs> Again. Again. Another, and, another accident because you want to do the job. Well, yeah, I'm going to catch up with you, man. I'm yeah, yeah. You. Well, it's it's it it felt like I got hit with a hammer on the top well, of the head. I bet it did, yeah. And, and then I realized that actually the uh, the screwdriver bit had had is what broke the fall on the top of my head. So I was, was was losing a lot of blood there for a minute. Oh God! But uh, but you know it all worked out. You know, I put some ice on there and a little compression and. Uh, you know, it seems seems to be healing up okay. You think so now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, the the important part about taking a strike to the head is try to keep it above the hairline, man. That's that's something I've learned over my many years of of taking falls or taking blows. You know, try to have it, you know, not on the face and somewhere above the hairline. Because you know, why is that? Well, because you know, as long as your hairline ha- holds out, then you know it's a uh, no harm, no foul. You know, it's like if you're if you're going to take the impact on your on on your face, then everybody's oh, so cosmetically. You're saying you'd rather have it on uh, above the hairline. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you don't want to touch your presser's face, right? Well, you know, you, it's it's uh, you, you you'd rather not have to have all of that right there on, on the on the front that people have to confront. You know, when they when they see you. You know, if you have, have drill marks on your face, I don't know. Like, might, might oh, it's a better story though if there's drill marks on your face. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can always tell the story, you know. It's uh, without 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 wearing it right there and on my on my sleeve, as as it will, as 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 it were, as it is. Okay, so you got hit in the head with a drill. Got lot, hit in the head with a drill. Yeah, and uh, you're doing all right. Uh, doing okay. You know, something uh, coming from a uh, a couple of weeks back, we mentioned a, a guy on on the podcast, a great uh, uh, keyboard player, uh, Casey McAllister. Casey heard that episode. And sent me a uh, a dozen donuts and uh, half a gallon of iced coffee. I couldn't wow. believe it. I thought well, that's nice of him. It was so nice, and I thought, how old school, man! How does somebody get my address and have something delivered to my house in person? It's like I I was so moved. I thought, man, I'd like to send this guy a telegram. Oh, but, did uh, you save me any donuts or coffee? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got got both for you over here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, got, okay. Got iced coffee, got donuts for you. Um, so shout out to Casey McAllister. Thank you. What a what an old school I, move, man. Uh, what show was that? I don't remember that. What show uh, that, was that? that was uh, that was back on on the uh, the the Dan Fox episode where from Dan Fox from Anti Gravity and uh, oh, right, so a couple of shows ago. People, yeah. yeah, a couple of shows ago. So yeah, I c- couldn't believe it, man. I came home and there's a box of, of donuts with with my name written on it. Now, is he from here? Uh, he's not. He, I think he's Casey is from Baton Rouge and okay. lived here for a good long time. Played in a million bands here, um, and I think uh, currently he's living in Charlottesville, Virginia. He's up there doing a lot of soundtrack work and and uh, score work for for different movies. And um, you know, he was when Carlo Nucio did the the uh david bowie tribute show a few years ago um casey he was, stole he stole casey's money uh well i don't know that was or he uh, borrowed money i don't know about any of that that was uh it was more recent than the, than that phase uh, of okay. life. but uh casey was one of the two keyboard players that handled that mountain of of uh piano and synthesizer work on on all the uh the bowie material and so he did a uh, 
did a Herculean job of handling all that, and I was quite impressed. Um, so anyway, that's that's how you may know of him. That's that's I was explaining to my wife. That's that's who he was. She had, so anyway, he's out there doing great things. Um, well, Manny, we we have a guest here. He's been very silent. I thought he might have uh, spoken up before now, but maybe we should get him in on the mix. What do you think? Sure. So this was a guest you actually mentioned on the last podcast. Yes. And you were you were promoing his blog, and uh, as as you were talking about him, I thought, well, he'd be a good guest. And once we got off done with that that uh, show, we I, I reached out and we actually were able to book him. So we have him here tonight. Yeah, so, this is yeah yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no. Um, no, well, no, no. This is a guy who I for some reason. Um, bump into once a year and it's usually that first sunday of mardi gras i always bump into him at the circle bar mm -hmm. and uh we've you know we've been in touch you know for years now very very loosely in touch i mean um but anyway uh, let's just give tell the credits and then introduce the guy renee okay. you're better at that than me all right. Well, so our, this is the first for the Troubleman podcast. He's uh, the first time we have uh, uh, someone affiliated with law enforcement from 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 that side is is not wearing the the uh, the jewelry in the car. Um, so he he was a uh, the former police officer. He's a police officer for thirty one years in in uh, Florida. Wound up his career as, as chief of police in, in, in that same town for the last five years or so. He's been retired for a few years. He's, he's uh, become a bit of a community gadfly, has a, a blog that he does, uh, Barker's View, Visions from a Bloodshot Eye. And uh, so uh, he's a graduate of the FBI Academy at Quantico, Virginia. And he also That's has right. a, 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 a once-a-month radio show. Okay. All right. Yeah. Which so, I do indeed. Yes. All right, so without, hey, without cheers, further guys. ado, without further ado, Mr. Mark D. Barker. Welcome, Mark. Hey, there hey, you Mark. go. Hey, guys. How cheers. How are you, man? I'm great, man. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks so much. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. Well, it's we're happy to have you. Uh, what's going on with you in the state of your nation right now? Well, you know, uh, here in the bunker in uh, the greater Daytona Beach area, which, uh, yeah. you know, we like to call the Florida of Florida. Uh, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we were uh, several years ago, you know, Esquire magazine uh, crowned us the sleaziest city in the country, uh, which has got to put us high in the running for uh, sleaziest city anywhere. But we're... Uh, sure. Yeah, so we're, uh, you know, just uh, like you guys, dealing with the uh, pandemic to uh, as best we can. I keep a, uh, you know, a running vodka regimen, which is uh, <laughs> well, both in retirement and through uh, the pandemic. But uh, yeah, it's great to be with you. Well, you know, Renee and I, since we started this podcast, we've always uh, singled out Florida and Arizona as being the most, uh, how would you say it, Renee? The well, the the weirdo states, you know, the yeah. states yeah. that seem to collect yeah. all the weirdos. Right. Yeah. Every it, uh, every article or news uh, story that starts with Florida man, you can uh, assure yourself it's going to be interesting. So, sure. But, uh, you know, it's um, our politics are much like yours, and you know, I, uh, as you said, Renee, I spent thirty one years and local law enforcement. And, you know, during that time, uh, 
you know, I was really trying to fight and eke out a living to support my family. And uh, as I as I rose through the ranks, you know, it became increasingly difficult for me to voice an opinion because, uh, you know, I uh, 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 it was just sheer cowardice, uh, I guess, uh, and uh, my mercenary need to put food on the table. But I couldn't say anything, you know. And uh, so once I retired and was able to find a voice, I began writing this uh, this Barker's View blog. Uh, it's hyper local, hyper political, and uh, basically it's kind of a thumb in the eye to the local powers that be. Uh, I think I've become the most hated man in East Central Florida as a result of it. But you know, huh. there is a there is a very cathartic, uh, perverse pleasure, uh, you know, in being able to finally uh, openly speak my mind about the things that I was uh, silent about for so many years. Hmm. Well, I, you know, that's funny you bring that up so soon because I was going to bring it up later. Is that, uh -huh. you know, I've looked at your blog and I've looked at other things about you. I just Googled your name a few days ago. Um, uh, you have a lot of haters. I do. Yes, you I do. You have a lot of haters out there. I noticed that really quickly when I was reading stuff about you that there's you a know, lot Danny, of people who I'm, don't like you. I wasn't being invited to cocktail parties by these people before I started writing the blog. So yeah. I, I really don't <laughs> right. have any, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I know a little bit about New Orleans politics and, and probably a little less about uh, greater Louisiana politics uh, and, you know, that very dark history there. But, uh, you know, here locally and like so many places uh, around the nation, we're, we're, kind of totally controlled by a small, very wealthy group of individuals who have learned that through the misuse of our kind of Turkish bazaar campaign finance system, they can control their own environment. And, uh, you know, some of these people are, are incredibly influential. We have uh, NASCAR is based here at the, you know, the World Center of Racing at the Daytona International Speedway. The France family goes way back here locally, but there are uh, several others that uh, you know are incredibly wealthy, and they can throw a lot of money around in relatively you know what you would think were benign local races, and uh, you know as a result of that, uh, the bulk of us are kind of controlled by uh, by this weird uh, five family uh, you know situation. So um, you know to I just saw kind of a need to kind of stand up and, and, you know, point the finger and say, Hey, uh, you know, this just can't continue. And as a result of that, it's, uh, it's bought me some detractors, but, uh, but, you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I average, it's truly not the quality of the writing in that blog, but it is an alternative opinion to our local newspaper. Uh, who, of course, is beholden to the same individuals for advertising revenue. But, uh, uh, you know, I have a lot of people that cheer me on. And, uh, you know, I think uh, there's a lot more that uh, to kind of get uh, what I'm trying to say, often in a satirical way, uh, to kind of just, uh, you know, expose uh, kind of this farce that we find ourselves in politically in, uh, in this day and age. Okay. But you're not part of the alt-right, are you, Mark? I am not. No, you know. Very good. Uh, 
I'll be honest with you, Renee. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I am a, uh, you know, I'll be 60 this year, uh, a white guy that served in the military and spent his life in law enforcement. Okay. If that's not the uh, Republican demographic, you, you know, I, I don't know what is, but uh, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, I developed a social conscience along the way. Uh, I worked in a community that uh, is uh, relatively uh, economically depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw what these individuals go through, what they continue to go through. We have a large number of people here locally and, in, and throughout Florida that uh, live at or below uh, the poverty line that are, you know, working, but they're asset uh, constrained. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I see what these people go through on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and frankly, uh, it appalls me that, uh, that sitting politicians who, you know, hold themselves out uh, every four years to uh, ostensibly represent our interest uh, and then do anything but, uh, you know, once the election is sealed, uh, I, it's appalling to me. And uh, I think these, uh, so, you know, to that end, it has been cathartic, and uh, I, and I hope it furthers a, a larger discussion. You know, of these. So, Mark, let me ask you: to get issues. back to like yeah. the, to the to get back to the five families that you say that are running the, the place yes, or whatever. Yes. Is there uh -huh. still you know is there still a lot of cocaine money there? You know, Renee, I uh, I lived here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Manny, it's. Uh, you know, nothing like it was in the uh, in the 70s and early 80s. You know, right. Florida was a major transshipment point for uh, for South American, uh, you know, the drug trade, mm -hmm. and the literally the state was awash in both cocaine and uh, uh, you know, and the revenue that it produced. And if you look at the skyline of uh, Miami today you know, most of those massive skyscrapers, condominiums, business complexes, you know, all that was an offshoot of, uh, you know, of laundering uh, cocaine money. And it's a, it's a fascinating part of the history of our state. Uh, at that time, I served on various uh, drug task force. You might remember that, uh, that George Bush, number one, uh, as vice president, sent a ton of money into the state uh, during what was, you know, the quote unquote war on drugs. And, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, in many ways, I felt like we were biting the hand that fed us because the overtime <laughs> money and the other, you know, it was, uh, it was really good. We worked really hard, did some interesting things. Uh, and at the end of the day, the only thing we ever did was affect the price. Uh, yeah, uh, so, you know, that was, uh, uh, it was still, and, you know, I, while I don't think it is as prevalent, uh, as it was in the day and, you know, Florida now has, um, uh, we have medicinal marijuana, uh, and, um, there is a guy named John Morgan who guys may or may not know. He's a, he's a, uh, a rather famous, uh, personal injury attorney, Morgan and Morgan, here in Florida. Uh, and he, uh, I think it's kind of like, you know, that guy Rubenstein that, that advertises on, uh, out there. Well, 
uh, he's now moved to Florida, so I guess he's a competitor. But uh, John Morgan is uh, pushed very hard, put a lot of money behind uh, recreational marijuana. And frankly, guys, I'm probably the only former police chief uh, that you'll talk to that will, uh, you know, I, I advocate for it. Uh, I think doing the same thing over and over again truly is the textbook definition of uh, insanity. And, uh, you know, why, uh, why law enforcement doesn't take a second look at, uh, at the benefits to this, at decriminalizing this, and, uh, uh, you know, certainly generating the tax uh, dollars that other states have seen, uh, it escapes me. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens this year. Man, and you know, Florida has had such a a problem with uh, the the opioid epidemic. You know, I, I, I know people would people would be driving down from West Virginia straight to Florida to go sit in the parking lot for a couple of days and uh, fill prescriptions and 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 drive it back. And we've had yeah, we uh, had these. Every strip center had uh, you know a pain clinic uh, that popped right. up. And of course, our governor at the time this. Uh, Rick Scott, who is now right. uh, our senator, uh, you know, he was, uh, this is a guy that should have been wearing an orange jumpsuit. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, he made, you know, millions upon millions of dollars uh, in both the pharmaceutical industry and uh, kind of these pop-up walk-in clinic things. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, ultimately his company was uh, fined the largest federal, you know, penalty uh, ever uh, handed down for, uh, you know, and, you know, one of the things he did initially was disband the opioid office in Tallahassee. So that, I think, set the tone for everything that came, uh, that came after, but. uh, Right. Yeah. So it's going to be wide open here. Well, uh, you know, I I have a question. You're a little bit older than, than Manny and I. And the fact that, that you, uh, as a young person, went into the military, uh, and, and then, well, what branch of the military did you go in, by the way? I went into the Army. Uh, actually, okay. uh, I joined the uh, military police corps. And I'll tell you the story. Uh, I, uh, I was, you know, never, uh, I knew college wasn't for me. Uh, hmm. You know, the only thing that kept me out of college was high school, actually. But it was uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, so my my best buddy and I, uh, who is also a retired uh, cop, we were we were on the beach throwing a frisbee. He had flunked out of his first semester at Florida State. I had uh, been uh, dropped from every class I signed up for at a local community college. And we are literally throwing a Frisbee on the beach, considering what comes next. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my father uh, was a Marine Corps officer, and really all he ever wanted for me was to join the Marine Corps and kind of follow in his footsteps. So uh, my friend and I drove down to the Marine Corps recruiting office. Uh, all, of the, all of the branches were, were co-located. And... Uh, we asked if we could, because uh, both of us had an interest in law enforcement from, you know, when we were young. And uh, at the time, to become an MP in the Marine Corps, you had to be prior service. So this uh, head popped out of an office and said, hey, guys, I, I think I can help you out. 
And uh, we took, uh, you know, of course, a battery of tests. And the next thing we knew, we were uh, in Jacksonville getting a physical, then on a bus for Port McClellan, Alabama, uh, where we spent uh, three or four months in uh, basic training in MP school and uh, ultimately ended up in, uh, in a, uh, a military police reserve unit uh, here locally and uh, spent six years there. I, uh, uh, I was a worse soldier than I was an academic. I actually was discharged from the army at less rank than I went in. Okay, uh, well, and, that's uh, not good. That's possible, <laughs> but, you know, I drank a lot of beer, had a great time. I'll tell you guys a quick story of, of how. Well, you know, I, let, 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 let me just yeah. ask you a question before I forget sure. it, because yes. what I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, us being the, the going having a similar uh, bunch of experiences as children. I'm imagining yes. what we saw on television, yes. the Vietnam War, sure. um, and like what I saw, you know, I saw the '68 convention, the Democratic convention in Chicago, and yes. and you know, police beating rioters. Mm-hmm. And as a five-year-old, I looked at it and I thought, oh, those are the bad guys, um, yes. you know, the police. But somehow you, you, you didn't get that from it. You thought still there were, this was a, a you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm trying to, yeah, trying to know, understand, this, was it the Mod yeah. Squad or Serpico? What made right, you think right, that right. a cop you of cool? This is going to sound odd, but uh, when I was a very young guy, my father's business was broken into. Uh, kind of in the middle of the night. And uh, he, uh, I, I was woken up by the commotion at home. And so my dad put me in the car and we drove down uh, to his shop. And uh, there was this guy, you know, in uniform, right, standing there. And I'm, I, I come up to about his belt. And, you know, I was just so incredibly taken by that experience because, you know, I thought to myself, this guy knows he's going to help my dad. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and uh, he's going to help him get his things back or, or, you know, and, uh, or catch just, the guys. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it just, uh, you know, there was something about that moment and I don't know what the guy ever said to me, but, uh, it became, uh, you know, something that, uh, I was always interested in. Uh, I got involved in an organization. Uh, I don't even know if it's still around. Well, uh, I think it is. I know it is. The locally, Nazi party? But... <laughs> yes, right. Yes, exactly. Uh, no, it was... Uh, no, they're making a comeback. Yeah, it was a police explorer program where oh, okay. young guys could, you know, young kids could go in and learn about law enforcement. Uh, you know, and kind of interact with police officers and get to know them. You know, uh, hey, Mark, excuse me, Mark, yeah. for a second. Sure. You know, I had I had a very good friend of mine, same age as me, who lived across the street. We went to school together. He was uh, an explorer in, in Los Angeles. Wow. And yeah. he got to, yeah, it, I know this program. I know this program big time. You know, I know it's helped a lot of guys. Uh, you know, I came up with a lot of guys that started out in that program. So, you know, I... Uh, if you count that, you know, part of my life, I, you know, I've been doing this most of my, uh, of my life, you know, and, um, uh, it's, it's kind of like the boy scouts for law enforcement in a way. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And when I was, uh, when I was chief of my department, we have one of the, uh, oldest, uh, continuously operating, uh, 
you know, police explorer programs in the state of Florida. Uh, something I was proud of that we, you know, we kind of continue that tradition with people. And some of those uh, kids that came up are now uh, police officers working for the same agency. So it's, right. um, you know, it's a good I remember program. though, I remember he used to go get to ride along in the squad yep. car with, with officers and true. stuff. Yep. And he would tell me all about it. And I thought, wow, that just seems insane. And, yep. and he did it for a couple of years. I think he was like 15, 16 years old. And I actually went with him once to the West LAPD department to, so he, he wanted to show off, you know, in front of me. Uh-huh. Right. And, right. And, and I went there and I met all these officers. I went, I saw the, the, the booking room and all, I mean, all that stuff that I would see right. 10 years later in my life, you know? Right. Um, and, um, uh, I got, I remember leaving and thinking, wow, that's so cool. And then when we left, uh, one of his officer friends uh, gave me a, uh, a, a officer's jacket, oh, like, wow. a, like yeah. a hand-me-down one. And cool. I had that jacket for years. I right. love that jacket. That jacket had so many pockets you could not believe. <laughs> right, right. You had you interior know, I, uh, pockets. As a as a young guy, uh, I went to Washington on a on a school field trip, and one of the things we did was tour the old FBI headquarters uh, downtown. And uh, part of that tour was a young agent would fire uh, one of those old Thompson. Uh, machine guns, you know, and uh, the guy handed me a shell casing from a, a 45 caliber round that had, uh, that he had fired. And, you know, I still have that uh, in a yeah. box in my bedroom. And, you know, these, so, you know, there were so many things about that career track that just intrigued me from a, from a young age. And you know what? I, I don't have an education. Like I said, you know, I have a, uh, I'm fortunate to have a high school diploma, but, uh, you know, as a result of that, I became a good mimic, you know, and I, I saw the, the positives in people and I was able, uh, through, you know, I guess the best of experiential learning to kind of take those things and use them to my advantage and kind of discard the negatives. And, uh, uh, you know, I just built a, a wonderful career. My experience could not have been better. You know, I had wow. the ups and downs, but, uh, uh, you know, when that job is done right and you're able to help people, uh, there's no feeling like it in the world. And uh, again, there's, there's, uh, I made my share of mistakes. I, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, things I'm not proud of things I could have done differently. But uh, in, in 31 years, I look back on a career that, uh, that honestly was, uh, uh, I could not have asked for a better life. And uh, it's something I miss to this day. Uh, so, wow, no kidding. You know, well, yeah, I, I thought I, you I, were going to say it. you came home with J. Edgar's dress. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. You know, one of the guys. Uh, and you I keep was, it in your closet. I do. I do. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, I went to the FBI National Academy in 1996. Uh, very fortunate to have been selected for that program. And uh, it is, um, in law enforcement circles, a very prestigious. Uh, How old are you in 96? Uh, well, I was, gosh, I don't know what, 36? Yeah, that sounds about yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you know, I waited six years for, for an appointment 
And uh, when I got there, uh, you know, it, it is truly the world's premier law enforcement leadership training academy to this day. And it's, it's, it's located at Quantico. You train next to new agents. Uh, at the, when I was there, DEA had their uh, initial training there. They've since built a beautiful facility nearby. Uh, and they're no longer there. But one of the first people that I met when I was there was Eddie Compass, who oh, you guys okay. might remember was your chief. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah. Chief of Police Katrina. of New Orleans. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. And uh, another guy that was in my session, uh, Charlie Gooey, who was the undersheriff in Plaquemine Parish uh, okay. and is currently the uh, chief investigator for the... the uh, coroner's office down there. And I had a chance to catch up with him uh, in February when we were over there. But uh, so, you know, I, I just met a lot of great people who later went on to, uh, you know, to good things within their agency. Uh, I People that from a, literally internationally that I talk to weekly, uh, most of us are retired now. But uh, yeah, I, I look back on it, you know, and I, I remember when Eddie uh, had the kind of headbutting with Ray Nagin in the immediate aftermath of Katrina. Uh, right. And I know that he has said publicly that, uh, you know, it was terrible to watch his career kind of disintegrate uh, to the point where he was forced out during uh, a time when both his officers and community needed him most. And uh, I understand that he's gone on to work in the school system. Now I haven't seen him in a number of years, but, uh, but he, you know, he was a great guy and uh, another uh, person that had a lifelong ambition to serve, and uh, you know, it was unfortunate what happened. Okay, so Mark, Mark, uh, yes. let's pause here because it's the time of the show where we take a break and, and refill our cocktail. So yes, let's I just take more. a break. Yeah, and so Troubled Nation, take a break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman. Back with our guest, Mr. Mark D. Barker. Now, Manny, uh, we have a, a sponsor that's joined the uh, the Troubled Nation in the last well, year. Yes, the sponsor's been with us for about a month now, mm -hmm. and I think the nation probably already knows who I'm talking about. It's the Velo Bar. Yes, the Velo Bar is uh, a CBD oil uh, protein bar, right? With 25 milligrams of CBD, a perfect dose to take the edge off whatever you're dealing with right now. And of course, we're mm -hmm. dealing with a lot of stuff right now in the world. It's a healthy protein bar that fills you up and calms you down. Yes. Which everyone needs a little bit of that. Mm. And, you know, who doesn't need it right now? The fucking world's freaking out right now. Right. And uh, for people who want to know, it's also a plant-based protein from healthy superfood ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, and chia seeds. Mm. And it's probably the best thing to do for, you know, as a breakfast bar. Yeah. Or, after a, or after a workout, you know, okay. it's, it's a really good thing, and especially as you get older and the bones get a little bit more, you know, uh, creak, you know, they start to creak a little bit more and the right. arthritis starts coming in. Or this inflammation. Bubble, yeah. And I'm telling you, man, I've been eating one like every other day. Mm -hmm. I'm sleeping better. All right. And uh, my, my, my body's feeling a lot better. Okay. It really is. The, the, the creaks and the aches and pains of just getting older, you know? Okay. You know, so 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 nation, go to velobarcbd.com to make an order, and if you use our promo code uh, troubledmen15, you'll get fifteen percent off your order. Is it fifteen? Yeah, fifteen percent yes. off your yeah, order. Yeah, yeah. And so use that promo code, and it's free shipping. 
So you can't Great lose. shipping. Yes. Yeah. So check it out. And you know what? One day, maybe down in the future, we should get uh, uh, my buddy who started this whole company, get him on the show. Okay. He is a hoot. He's okay. a real hoot. He, yeah, yeah, uh, well, yeah. We'll look into it. Yeah, maybe we'll see if he wants to do it. So go back. So Nation, remember, 15% off. Use a discount, tro- Troubled Men 1-5, discount promo code, free shipping, and just go to tr- uh, VeloBarCBD.com to order. And it's taken off. I, he's told me a lot of people from the nation have ordered. So it's well, taken I've, I've had uh, I had a few people uh, uh, mention that in fact they had ordered a case of of, uh, of, of the, the Velo Bar. There are two. There are two fabulous flavors. There's a dark yeah. chocolate and there's a peanut butter flavor. Right, I right, prefer right. The, I prefer the dark chocolate. You know, um, so you can, can mix them together, make it like a like a yeah. Reese's oh. peanut butter cup kind of. There you go. There you CBD go. Version. Well, uh, well, yeah, so check that out, uh, Nation. And, and as always, you know, you can uh, uh, support the Trouble Men podcast by jumping on that, uh, that link there in the, the show notes or the uh, Facebook page and, you know, buy me and Manny a cocktail and uh, buy yourself one while you're at it. Speaking well, of buying cocktails, mm-hmm. yes, our guest, uh, uh, Mark D. Barker, mm-hmm. I, I bump into him. It's always the first Sunday of Mardi Gras, right, Mark? Yeah, I always it bump is. into you. It's amazing, yeah. you know. I amazing. I, uh, I think the uh, the first time that we met uh, might have been your first run for mayor. Uh, That's when because, I was living uh, above the Circle Bar. Yes. Yeah, I I just remember uh, having a little rally down there, and you had these these great uh, campaign signs that had the Y in your name as a uh, as a martini glass with an olive right. and a sizzle stick. Which yeah, uh, right. you know that with the uh, the troubled man for troubled times, which I thought is the best uh, political tagline uh, ever. So yes, uh, but you know I uh, we we kind of stumbled into the into the circle bar uh, one uh, you know the week before Mardi Gras, and I just remember sitting there and you know with the din and the craziness of uh, of the parade going on outside, and this dude comes busting through the front door in this flamboyant outfit with a feather boa around his neck. And he screams, Konichiwa, bitches. And I'm just like, well, yeah, we found our home here. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was that Will Smith. To you. As, was, as, as, as a police officer, you thought this is our yes, home. I like it. Exactly. I like it. And yeah, that was Will was, Smith, you say. <laughs> it was Will ahead. Smith. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, uh, who is somebody that, uh, that I've uh, become acquainted with through our various travels over there. And we've been coming there for, for 30 years, uh, uh, you know, always uh, the week before Mardi Gras day, now that we're older and, uh, and we, uh, we can't endure the stresses of Mardi Gras day, but. Uh, well, yeah, because lately you've been coming just for like that first weekend into the second weekend, but you leave by, by. Yeah. We're, we're out of there by Friday or Saturday. Uh, yeah, before gets, it all hits the fan, yeah. Uh, a little much. But, yeah. uh, you know, Will uh, Will is an incomparable artist. And, you know, yeah. his fine art, I think, is uh, is phenomenal. And what he's done, you know, outside Circle Bar on that little uh, uh, patch of... Uh, of uh, chalkboard? Chalkboard, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's incredible. And, you know, he has done this every day throughout this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Even though and, they're closed. And, yeah, he's still yeah, doing it. Yeah, it's amazing. So my hat's off to Will. And, you know, I bought a T-shirt and 
I uh, donate a little money for Dave uh, at, uh, what is it, Snake and Jake's? Yeah. Uh, they did a little yes. uh, GoFundMe thing there. And uh, so I'm hoping for the best because it's really uh, one of my favorite bars in the world right there. And uh, But yeah, Manny, I think that's how you and I met was during, uh, right. during that yeah, time. During that whole time. And it's funny because, I mean, it always seems, especially the last five or six years, I just... I always go there on the first Sunday because King Arthur rolls and uh-huh. my my good friend uh, is on that and she always throws Selena, my daughter, a really great throw. Yeah. And I always seem to see you there on that Sunday. I mean, we saw each but, other this you know, last, this past Sunday, this past we did. Sunday. The yeah. beautiful thing about that place is that uh, you can walk through the door and pick up the same conversations with the same people that you had uh, you know, uh, the last time you were there and it's right. a, it's a great place. And, you know, uh, out back several years ago, out on that little back, uh, the back ice machine area. Back, yeah. Yeah. Where the ice machine is, uh, you know, I coming from a background of law enforcement, there's not a lot of people that are, that are, uh, you know, burning one uh, in front of you. So it was, it was kind of a really awakening to me when I walked out back there and there were like four or five people, you know, uh, smoking weed openly and then uh, all about my age. And then there's a guy there who literally is wearing this like slouch hat and a and a gray, you know, tunic. He looks like he just climbed down off the Lee Circle statue there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had to be about 80 years old and he offers me a hit off of a vape pen, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, thanks, man. But. Yeah, I, I I don't partake, and you know, and then that was Dave Clemens. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> the Prince of Darkness. No. But we just had this, uh, you know, this great few minutes together talking about life and, uh, you know, and things. And and I I tend to only get those experiences, uh, you know, when I'm out that way. So, well, you, but I, I love you because you always. You always say, Manny, what you're drinking, and you keep buying. You just keep That's buying. That's right, buddy. That's right, man. <laughs> you know, when, uh, when I get and you, you know me, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say right, no. Right. So, you know. But I'm just, uh, you know, I'm sorry. My, my wife and I were married out there. Uh, oh, okay. It's interesting because before we got married, we were sitting in a bar, and we were uh, we were talking to a uh, I think the guy was like a defrocked or disbarred lawyer. And he was explaining that back in the day, like in the early 1900s, under Louisiana code, adultery was not grounds for a divorce during carnival season. So I said, <laughs> you know, look, this is, that's good with me, man. You know, it, that, that's, that's cool. So my wife and I were married out there, you know, on that, uh, on that river boat that kind of docks there by uh, uh, called the Creole Queen. Natchez is that the name? Yeah, it's it, it's uh, kind of a sister to the Natchez. Okay. So Creole you know Queen, we yeah. we brought forty friends out there. We just had a friggin' awesome time, and you know we've been coming for thirty years, and uh, you know I've become something of a of a student of uh, of New Orleans because of the. The, just kind of the gravitational pull of that place. Uh, you know, I started out reading uh, Chris Rose's columns uh, 
uh, in the uh, you know the Times Picayune and sure, and sure. his post uh, yes. Katrina stuff. Uh, if you could read that, uh, you know, without bawling your eyes out, uh, you know, you're stronger than I am. Uh, it later went on to uh, that Pulitzer Prize winning book, uh, One Dead Attic, right. I think it was. Yeah, I've never met uh, Chris, but I follow along with him on social media. He's nuts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did you hear him on the Trouble Men podcast? He was a, a guest I, I uh, did not. early on. I did not. Oh, you I should, will have yeah, every, Nation, go back there and check out the Trouble the uh, the Chris Rose episode. It's uh, somewhere in the 30s, I think. He's very entertaining. Yeah, very. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the yeah. dude is incredibly resilient and 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 brilliant. You know, and he's uh, a great writer. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, you remember when he had the little segment on? Uh, I think it was WVE. Uh, for a short period of time. Yes. Uh, and then news with a know, twist or something. Yes. Yeah. Kind of everything fell apart. He was writing for Rouse's magazine. Yeah. Uh, and, and now, you know, has kind of reinvented himself with this tour uh, musical. Yeah. Tour he's thing doing and, New Orleans. He's art. a tour guide now. Yeah. He's doing uh, a phenomenal guy, you know, and I hope to meet him one day and, uh, you know, kind of shake his hand and, and, uh, well, bring him a pack of cigarettes because he smokes them like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> sure, sure. He turned me on. His uh, his uh, Facebook presence uh, turned me on to a book that I just finished here a few weeks ago called Stay Out of New Orleans by a, a, an author called P. Curran, which I think is a novel huh. for someone. It is the most macabre, bizarre uh, series of short stories uh, but incredibly engaging because you recognize all of the settings throughout the city. And, uh, you know, there's Verdi Mart, there's, you know, various places around town that you recognize. But then I realized, you know, it, it's, it's no more bizarre than what you pick up and read in, in any morning newspaper out there, you know? It's just, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it was tough to get through, but, uh, but really quite an engaging read. So, so Mark, let me, let's get back to Florida sure. and, um, mm-hmm. and, and the cocaine days. And so I just want to touch yes. on that one. Um, sure. I, I'm just going to fast forward until you know, um, the Coen brothers, you know, the filmmakers, the Coen brothers yeah. who've made the big uh-huh. Lebowski and uh, yes. Fargo. They right. are doing a remake of Al Pacino and Brian De Palma Scarface. Yes. How do you right. feel about that? Hey, you know, it was uh, it was a great movie and uh and those guys, I like everything they do. You know, it's hard to give Florida a black eye. You know what I mean? We uh, Well, that's it, but I'm just saying <laughs> it's, it's like it's like trying to remake The Godfather in a way. Right, why why right, bother? Right, right. Yeah. You know, why it's, bother uh, doing it? Uh I just, you know, uh I, I hope they do it justice because, you know, the first movie was, was, uh, you know, as over the top as, uh, Pacino was there at the end, but it was, uh, you know, I, I worked a lot of cases that were, that were more mid-level, um, uh, distributors, smugglers, that kind of thing back. And, you know, back in the day, especially down in Key West, it was, uh, it, really pretty open, you know, especially in the, uh, in the mid seventies, 
Uh, well, I, yeah, was, I, I, yeah I, I've seen like documentaries on how about like everyone on the block was doing it, you know, so it was yeah, like, eh. yeah, it's true. Well, what happened was they, they stopped spiny lobster fishing uh, in Bahamian waters. So that cut off, uh, you know, an income supply for a lot of commercial fishermen in like Florida City and, you know, throughout Monroe County. So, uh, you know, these guys had boats, they had, you know, all the materials. So they started bringing, you know, pot into South Florida uh, just as a way to survive. And, uh, you know, it was always kind of a gentlemanly thing in, in those days. Uh, and then when, uh, uh, you know, when people figured out that they could exponentially uh, increase, uh, you know, the amount of money that they were making by importing uh cocaine from Colombia, uh, transshipping it through the Bahamas, it, it just, you know, everything uh, opened up. And the Cubans uh, at the time who, you know, were is a huge presence in South Florida, you know, they were kind of forced out by the really violent uh, ways of uh, the Colombian cartels. And so the whole kind of complexion of that industry changed in a very short period of time. But with that, right. uh, you guys might remember the Dadeland massacre at a mall in, uh, in Dade County. Yeah. Uh, yes. yes. You know, the, the Cowboys just shot up a bunch of people and, you know, it became just indiscriminate violence down there. Uh, and, you know, I had uh, the opportunity to work in Broward County in the Fort Lauderdale area. This was at the, at the very advent of the crack epidemic when base cocaine became, you know, just incredibly widespread. And it was predominantly, uh, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people that I arrested in that time that were African-American, you know, and they, and they were spot on by saying, you know, this, uh, this was their opportunity, you know, and, and uh, because at the time, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the distribution of crack was primarily an African-American uh, neighborhoods. And, you know, uh, as it slowly worked its way up and of course overtook us here in central Florida, it, uh, at the time we had, you know, sporadic problems with, uh, the and some synthetic opioids, you know, mostly with like, you know, prostitutes and things like that, that were addicted mm. to, uh, to these things. But when crack made its, uh, presence known here, it just changed the whole game. And, uh, um, you know, I don't think we've ever uh, societally here been the same since. Really? Well, what about Flacca? We Flaca. talk about Flacca a lot on this show. Yes. Yeah. You know, have you had experience with that, with that, Mark? You no, know, I have not. That was, uh, that was something that came after my time. And I tell you another thing that was, uh, that was after my retirement, and that's been just six short years ago, uh, was... Uh, we've seen a lot more heroin here than we ever did. I, I don't think. Okay. We, Everything uh, old is new again. You know, it's like, yes, the, the, that's exactly the, right. Right. Yeah. Is it like the, the tar heroin or is it the powdered stuff? Uh, I've seen both, but um, it's a direct offshoot of. Uh, but didn't, know, didn't our president uh, uh, pat himself on the shoulder about a couple of months ago before Corona all started that said that he, he had deployed ships our, our Navy ships to blockade all ships from South America. Remember that story? Uh, you, you know, Manny, look, any, 
anything's possible, right? So, yeah. But, uh, you know, I can tell you that a lot of that now uh, from uh, uh, while we still see it here in our state, a lot of that has now shifted over to the southern border with uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. Right. California. Right. Uh, and it, I think it's funny. I was down in the Keys uh, not too long ago, and they still fly one of those aerostat balloons, you know, the that has the radar array under it to you know, kind of yeah. uh, capture low-flying aircraft and boats. And I thought to right. myself, I'm like, dude, you know, this is Disney World. You know, they <laughs> need to relocate that thing, uh, uh, you know, a thousand miles west. Uh, I think we've seen it here. But, you know, because the keys have turned into, uh, you know, a, a cartoon of Disney World. They they aren't what they once were when I was a kid. You know, and you right. could go down there and things were very quaint and... Uh, you know, like anything else, it's become a kind of a corporate T-shirt shop nightmare. Well, let me ask you something, Mark. Let's get serious yeah. for a second. Sure. Um, that whole the whole thing that happened over the past few days in in Minnesota. What's yes. your feeling about that? Uh, I think it's abhorrent. I think it is tragic. I think it is an affront to all good law enforcement officers everywhere. Uh, I can't say that in the strongest of terms. Um, positional asphyxiation is something that is taught from day one in defensive tactics to law enforcement officers all across this nation. Uh, there are things that you uh, simply cannot do. And, and, you know, I've only seen the small snippet of, of video that we've all seen. Mm -hmm. But I, I can tell you this, that they had this man prone on the ground. This guy has got his knee on this guy's And he's neck. handcuffed Obviously. already. He's handcuffed. He's handcuffed. Right. Yes, he's in right. custody. Uh, and they are, at, they are sitting 16 inches from the door of a secure police car. Mm -hmm. They could have put this guy in the car. And I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking or second guessing. I'm telling you, they could have put that guy in the car. They had a a, you know, a hostile crowd, they could right. have gotten him out of there in 40 seconds. Uh, we would, yeah. and, and we wouldn't be talking about this, but right. I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I worked for an old, old school police chief, the guy that hired me. Uh, he taught me two things that I remembered. The first was a woman's ass and a whiskey glass, make a man a horse's ass. And if you look at 90% of the reasons that cops get fired in this job, it's because ass, booze, and acting like an asshole. Okay? So uh, that taught me to survive this job politically. Uh, the other was he told me that when you take someone into your custody, their safety, health, and welfare becomes your personal responsibility. That means yes, yes, you protect yes, them yes. from hostile crowds. You protect them from themselves. You you evaluate them to make sure that they're not, you know, overdosing or, uh, you know, uh, have other physical issues. And you also protect them from other officers who can't come down from a condition red where they're, you know, they're seeing through a monocular. They, uh, uh, you know, and they, they get caught up in the emotions. So that individual becomes your personal charge until you hand him off 
to a correctional officer at the jail. Only then are you free of that responsibility. And uh, I never forgot that. I beat it and instilled it in every uh, man or woman that ever worked for me. And uh, these are just irrefutable, you know, proper procedures that have to be followed. Uh, but you know what? So, People so, so, so are you okay? Because I grew up in LA and you know, I was in LA. I was a young man during the uh, Rodney King riots and stuff. And, and now, and now this city's starting to riot. And for me, you know, they're angry. So I think they should riot. I think they need to do something like that. It's the only, it's the only course they have. You know, I, uh, I'm going to agree with that to a point, Manny. I'm yeah. not sure that, that violence is going to do anything to bring justice uh, to Mr. Floyd's death. And, uh, you know, it's going to cause, uh, there, I think there have already been five other people that have been shot out there. Uh, there's active looting, uh, you know, uh, whole blocks. Right. Of, well, the, the problem burn. that I had with the L.A. riots which I, I, you know, I thought, okay, yeah, we, we need to show some kind of resistance or whatever, but people were burning down their own neighborhoods, which I thought yes. was really yeah. stupid. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't burn down your own neighborhood. Go to Beverly Hills or burn Beverly Hills down or right. burn um, uh, Chief Daryl Gates's uh, neighborhood down. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, every cop, uh, that I came up with and, you know, guys that I respect and that I've talked to in, in recent days, uh, we're all in agreement that this is uh, an absolute uh, tragedy. It's abhorrent. It is uh, uh, a horrible reflection on the Minneapolis Police Department, their training, their tactics, uh, you know, and ultimately it will cost uh, Chief uh, Aaron Dondo uh, his job as it should, you know, the buck stops yeah. with him and, uh, you know, maybe uh, new leadership can bring a sense of calm. And, uh, you know, I, I watched earlier today, the U S district attorney for that district of, uh, of Minnesota. Uh, and she spoke very eloquently about, uh, expediting the investigation because, you know, a lot of people are calling for arrests. They want, uh, you know, they want to see the wheels of justice start moving. Uh, unfortunately, you know, that is a slow process. And in this country, uh, we still have the rule of law. Uh, people are still entitled to due process. Uh, I never want to see that go away uh, under any circumstances. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's what we're about here. Uh, but I think ultimately... These, uh, these four officers and any others that may have had supervisory responsibility that should have been there and weren't uh, will be held to account. So we'll, we'll see. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah. Now, Mark, Mark, I have a question yes. that might tie a, a little, a few of these elements together. So, uh -huh. you know, we're started back, we were talking about the war on drugs, you know, that yes. has a, a military aspect to it. It's a war. Yes. And right. Do you think at that point, that's when, when we started having SWAT teams, where we started, the police shifted from, you know, being like members of the community to yes. people who were almost an occupying force in, yes. a, in a hostile environment. Yeah. 
do you think that was the beginning of what we're seeing now, which seems to be systemic in it's a training thing, it's an attitude thing, and I don't know. Is that am I? No, does that you make know, sense? You know, I I have a. Uh, it's called the militarization of Mayberry, and you know, in a, in a lot of ways, right? Where you <laughs> right. know yes. you, you've got. Uh, you know, you've got small departments buying MRAPs and, you know, all these uh, right. up-armored Humvees and, you know, outfitting them. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was funny. I think it, it was somewhere in Texas where uh, the, a SWAT team from a county out there moved on like a, like a beauty parlor or a hairdresser uh, who were violating the terms of, uh, you know, of the mm. COVID uh, shutdown. Uh-huh. And, oh, and, and they were walking behind this massive armored vehicle as though they were, you know, storming Mogadishu. And uh, (laughs) and both of these guys are, you know, literally about 330 pounds. And it was funny because I saw a GoFundMe thing uh, to buy the county a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a treadmill, which. Oh, brother. But uh, yeah, you know, look, I I don't want to diminish in any way the risks that law enforcement officers face every day all around this country. You know, uh, there sure. have been, I think, three officers murdered uh, just in the last couple of days, uh, you know, around the country that have been overshadowed, uh, you know, by other events. But uh, so, right. uh, you know, my that agent- dangerous work for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Treacherous work. Is, but- you know, community policing became the byword. Uh, during, you know, the middle part of my career. And I remember uh, a guy telling me, look, if you're not embracing this in the next two years, you're going to be out of this business. And I realized that, you know, as a, as a midsize agency of about 30 people policing a population uh, around 13,000 people, you know, we had been doing this, practicing these, these things all along. People knew us. We knew their yeah. families. Uh, You know, so uh, but I think there are larger agencies that at some point lost sight of the fact that we're not warriors. We are peace officers. We are, you know, individuals that are of the people and for the people. You know, we live here. Uh, I live in this community. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be policed by a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, uh, jackbooted thugs any more than <laughs> anyone else. Right, of so, course. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, we, we made a lot of strides in that regard, but unfortunately it only takes one tragic incident like this to undo, uh, you know, a decade of hard work. So, you know, it's unfortunate. So, so Mark, let me ask you real quick. Have you ever, in your whole career in, in law enforcement, have you ever known any like kind of rogue officer who just thought he was above the law? Yeah, yeah, I, I did. But you know what, Manny? Uh, I'm thinking about one guy, okay? And, and I worked with hundreds of really dedicated people. Uh, right. You know, people that I am proud to this day to count just to have been in their number. You know what I'm saying? Right, uh, yeah, I, I understand. I watched people, you know, just average people do some really heroic things, uh, you know, through the years. I've seen people do a lot of stupid shit, too, you know, and uh, and nine out of 10 of them were held to account. You know what I mean? 
But good, yeah, it's uh, it's not, uh, you know, any barrel's going to have a bad apple. Uh, I, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, I saw a couple of those guys. Typically, they're weeded out, you know, rather quickly. Uh, but I tell you what I never worked with and I never saw in my career was someone who woke up in the morning and said, you know what, I'm going to go out and kill somebody today or I'm going to go out and, you know, create hell and havoc for my community. Uh, and wow, and so, but that said, what I witnessed on that, uh, that horrific video from Minneapolis uh, like I said, it turns the stomach uh, of every good cop that, uh, you know, in this nation. Yeah, I, I just, it, it turned my stomach because that cop who had his knee down on his neck had his hands in his pocket. Did you notice that? His yeah, hands were just uh, in his I can't tell like, if he was wearing gloves or if he had his hands in his pockets, but, uh, you know. It, uh, it just look, disturbed me. So, you know, growing up in Los Angeles, um, you know, it's a big nine billion, nine million people. Peace, the forest is understaffed, of course, and they're dealing with a lot of stuff. And yes. I've been arrested before um, for, you know, drug offenses or whatever. Uh-huh. And I had to deal with cops who were basically, uh, they, 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 wanted, they wanted to punch somebody so badly. They wanted to hit somebody. They yeah. wanted to do that. And, um, and that's where the Rodney King riots came out of, you know, and, and, and it's been going on forever back in, in that's in the city of angels, whatever, you know, as they call yeah. it. But the thing that I, I never understood is I, I always lost women to guys in uniform, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Okay, Mark, you have a lot of women throwing themselselves at you. No, no, I didn't have yeah. that. Okay. But you know, my, my <laughs> son-in-law, uh, is a is a prime example of of this statement. Uh, you know, he is a he is a young, educated black male. Uh, got his degree from Bethune Cookman University, which is a historically black college here in Daytona Beach. Uh, joined the Daytona Beach Police Department, uh, I guess, three years ago. Uh, gave us two beautiful granddaughters. A wonderful husband to my uh, to my daughter, and I'll I'll, I'll tell you guys this. It's, I see in the new breed, the young, uh, you know, breed of, of officers, a completely different mindset than what my generation knew. And in many ways, these guys are, are paying for the sins of my generation. So many of the guys I worked with were wholly uneducated. If they had a, if they had a high school diploma, you know, uh, they were lucky. Uh, not the brightest people in the box, uh, and there weren't the processes in place to kind of, you know, call these people uh, when they needed to. But uh, but I, I think this new generation that's coming up is so much well, uh, better trained, better, you know, better educated. Uh, so, uh, you know, I have a lot of hope for my industry and, you know, my, my profession and um, but, uh, what, what's happened this week is, uh, uh, really just, a you know, a true tragedy for the nation. You know, Mark, it always feels like progress is, is in such fits and starts. You know, we feel like we're doing good for a little bit and then we have something like the last four years, you know, to go, yes. oh, wow, it, yes. it can go backwards real fast. Right. <laughs> Way you know, farther than, have, you, than you might've imagined. So it's, uh, yes, it's, 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 it's always a struggle. 
Well, Mark, we've had a lot of people that have contact with law enforcement, but never from from the front of the car. You know, <laughs> yeah. usually you the go. back of the cage that we that we there know you about. Go. You know? So it's, yeah, it's good to have some some front of the car experience. Hey, so, I uh, can't wait to uh, can't wait to get back out there and uh, and have a cocktail with you guys and uh, get reacquainted. All right, Mark. Thanks, man. You're always great. Always. Everybody check out Mark's blog, uh, uh, Barker's View there, .org or something like that. You know, look look for uh, Mark on social media. Yes. And your radio show. Give give the, uh, what what are the digits for your radio show? Yeah, it's on uh, 1380 The Cat. Uh, You can find it on the uh, web at uh, govstuff.com. Dot org. Uh, there's a Great. listen live button. I'm on the second Monday of every month. All right. Thanks, Mark. And, and Renee, hey, uh, I guess we had a good show. This is a good show. Yeah, yeah. No, I had, that, was, that was kicks, man. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, thanks so, so thank much. Thank you so much, Mark. Yeah, thanks Thanks for being here. And, and uh, you know, in the Trouble Nation, we always like to say uh, trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night, Nation. Good night, Nation.